Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is the 2017 adaptation of The Beauty and the Beast. Just a heads up, we're going to be speaking about it with spoilers. If you haven't seen the cartoon from 1991 or you haven't read any of the Beauty and the Beast literature, uh, we'll be discussing the film at length here. So Lloyd, just a quick chat here. For me, I'm one of 10 kids from one family you know, we saw Beauty and the Beast around 91. I can't remember if we saw it at the movies. I vividly remember watching Aladdin at the movies, but um, Beauty and the Beast, we must have seen it, you know, when I was a kid, born in 83. So I'm, you know, eight when this comes out uh, or so. And um, I watched it, you know, between eight and 10, let's say. And then as my brothers and sisters kept getting born, I would have rewatched this film, you know, multiple times. Uh, maybe I've seen this, I don't know, let's say almost 50 times. So I was so confident in the knowledge of the cartoon, having seen it over the years, that I didn't rewatch it in the lead up to this. But I still remembered uh, all the bits, I suppose, which were different and noticed the subtle differences because of the amount of sort of osmosis I'd had with this film. But you have a different story, don't you? Yeah, I haven't seen any of uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I know of the cartoon um, series, but that that's about it. I, I I don't know much about the story, anything about the story prior to going into into the film. So, had you had any kind of pop culture, like you know, did you know the song "Be Our Guest" or no, no? Okay, so you're going in pretty much a clean slate watching this film. Yep, great. So I'm going to be the traditional nostalgic fan, and you'll be the outsider looking in, saying. What is this new thing? And treating it as if it's a very first viewing. That's good. I think the audience will get a nice mix here. So why don't we start with you? The story of Beauty and the Beast. I know it's a tale of bestiality, but uh, what did you think? (laughs) Well, the problem with a lot of these uh, um, Disney movies is that they inject a lot of this liberal, neo-progressive attitude. Like the main character is a feminist and very snobbish. Uh, Bella, played by Emma Watson. You got Josh Gad as Lee Lafoe, who's the gay sidekick villain whose story really goes nowhere. And, uh, you know, in, in this French fairy tale town that's populated with a very diverse range of people. Um, a lot of African uh, people were the good guys in this film, although it's obvious the film is so afraid to pre- present them in any villainous um uh, characterization, you know, like, uh, of course, it had to be an African person as the librarian, as a, uh, you know, as a good guy. But when the angry mob quickly came at the very end, I, I didn't notice any African uh, Africans uh, but, that uh, yeah, completely out of it right? because they're <laughs> so afraid to make any missteps. It has to be so puritanical in its attitude. By doing that, the film is so artificial. For me, this movie is a spectacle. There was a lot of kids 
in the film and it worked really great for them. They were laughing at all the right moments. They they thought it was really enjoyable. I, I thought the set pieces were great, very tangible, very, very detailed as well. But I can't help but always feel this artificialness creeping all the way through this movie, whether it's there to sell a toy or there to sell more as much products as possible. And it only came to the forefront for me with how bad the last 20 minutes was, how rushed it was. Like all of a sudden the main bad guy rallies the town into an angry mob and it was so quick, the beats. It was like quickly we got to hurry, get to the villain, get to the showdown. And the showdown climactic fight scene was one of the crappest choreographed scenes uh, (laughs) I've seen in a long time. I I know they used a lot of comedy in it, but... Uh, I, I just wasn't cheering for the teacup. I wasn't cheering for the candelabra. I wasn't cheering for the wardrobe when they're all coming in, taking out the angry mob one by one. I was just like, oh, geez. And I couldn't wait to get to the showdown with the Beast and uh, Luke Gaston. Evans, uh, Gaston. Yeah. And mm. it, that was so dark and muddled. And, oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, didn't like that at all. But this film does work. Like, just watching it with an audience, you you really feel that they really enjoyed it. And for the most part, I, I thought this film uh, really worked. It's just some of these Disney values are just so awful. It's always this, this beautiful, stunning main character who's so ugly in the inside, like their value. <laughs> I, I found her so snobbish and snooty, uh, Belle I'm talking about, who looks down at the rural life that she's born into and has this elitist disdain for the uneducated and the simple people. It's really disgusting. I thought the <laughs> film was going in that direction. She's as ugly as the beast and she's going to oh. get punished. I thought, but it wasn't the case at all. The film literally isn't aware of what that is. Just like, oh my gosh, you are so deep in this puritanical neo progressive attitude that you just don't see how awful Belle is as a character. It's really horrible and she cannot wait to escape from these rural people. She just can't wait to get out of there. And, um, you know, I, I, I just couldn't get over that. But she, Emma... Amber Watson's a beautiful actress. I think she did a great job here as Belle with the considering the limitations of the damsel um, uh, a character with a bit of um, the modern feminist characteristics written in. I, th- I think she did a solid job. Well, if anybody's still with us, after that. <laughs> <laughs> really, I'd be shocked if, if people comment um, arguing against me because I don't know how you can argue against that. Like Belle is a terrible character. I'm, I'm sorry, she's she's so snobbish. She, because she can read, she's better than everyone. That's a, that's what I got from her. So, all right. So you're uh, Belle in this scenario. You marry Gaston. You have Gaston's babies. No way. Gaston's an out, a douchebag. <laughs> that came across. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's terrible. He's he's obviously suffering from so, some um, post-war um, post-traumatic stress disorder from war. I'm I'm assuming it's some Napoleonic battle. Just judging, like I know this is a fairy tale, but just judging from the costumes there, so he is damaged goods. You know, he's not all there and uh, he's homicidal. <laughs> yeah, the the cartoon made no references to him being a captain and uh, having all these war references. He was literally just a handsome dude in the town who everybody swoons and fawns over. 
and a you know charismatic leader type, I suppose. And the reasons he wants to marry Belle are similar because she must be the best because she's beautiful and she doesn't want him, so he pursues her. It's part of the chase. I'll just jump back to that librarian you mentioned, the African-American librarian. In the cartoon, it's an old man. He's Caucasian. She comes in and she returns the book. She couldn't put it down. And he offers her a, you know another book that she picks another favorite of hers and and the old man says, you've read that one three times already. And she says, I love it. And then he says, if you like it that much, it's yours and gives her the book, which I thought was interesting that the African-American guy didn't give her the book. <laughs> so it was like he was all like had to have to keep this library going and operating. <laughs> and that felt like stunt casting to me, having seen the cartoon, that they put the African-American in the minor role, you know, as not to alienate them. They weren't the leads, but We've got to have them in the movie. Exactly. You know? And that's what that's what I'm talking about with the artificialness of the movie. Like it feels like a committee was there and they went, oh, guys, we have to do this. And they're ticking boxes as the movie's going on. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think kids are smart enough to spot that, well, what's happening there, um, which is fine. You know, they're, they're, they're going to enjoy it. But for me as an adult watching it, I'm, I'm watching almost – almost a, a really well-done toy commercial, you know, just, just making sure. I'm not sure if Beauty and the Beast did make toys and, that you know, it sold really well. I'm not, I'm not sure because I, I just wasn't that big into Disney films back then, which is surprising. You, be, you, be, you better believe Disney made merchandise for the Beauty and they the Beast. They did, okay, sure. <laughs> well, did, was the cartoon as artificial as this or no? It had a lot more soul. Uh, to be honest, Belle comes across in the cartoon as a dreamer. She wants more than this provincial life, you know, uh, basically because she's spent her whole life there. In this movie, they give her quite the backstory with her mother dying of plague and stuff. Oh, that wasn't in the original. None of that's in the original. What about that book where they can venture into any part of the world? Oh, no. That wasn't in the original. Because that threw me off. I was like, why don't they just get the book and rescue the father? I didn't understand why that book just all of a sudden disappears. That book was pretty much there for building backstory. And it was not in the cartoon and it was a weird additional scene. Yeah, that was so bad. Like, I I kept thinking, just use the book. Just use the book. Is the book gone? Is there something with the magic I don't know about? It um, It was not something that was in the cartoon. There was never a trip to France. You never even hear about Belle's mother. You don't know anything about this plague business or why Maurice left her uh, and ran off with Belle. You just have Maurice as a short, fat inventor. And in this cartoon, uh, Belle comes across more as the inventor. She's, you know, the brains behind him because he seems forgetful and she's always passing him, uh, you know, various implements to adjust clocks and things. And he's a short, fat inventor who everyone thinks is a little odd. And they think she's a little odd because she's the daughter, I suppose. But she comes across as just kind of a loner with a nose in a book, basically. It's less uh, feminist, I suppose. There's no scene where she teaches a girl to read. Uh, there's no scene where she does the washing the way she did with that barrel. Um, she's inventive. Yes. This modern chick is so independent and inventive. <laughs> Tick <They've>... that box. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've made her a stronger heroine than the 1991 Disney film because she was more passive and she kind of grows into a stronger character when she has to go and, you know, live with the beast. That sounds so much better. I think it was. Um, I'm still a bit nostalgic for it. Like, this works, don't get me wrong. I just think there was so many odd additional things that I want to rattle off on this podcast that 
kind of threw me a little bit. And what, what about ch- the wolves? Did they come back at all? Or uh, well, I mean, the wolves were pretty much the same as as seen. Um, there's the fight with the beast, and that's probably the last time you see them. Okay, yeah, where he fights them off. Um, but they also chase Maurice uh, into the castle in the first place. And those scenes always seemed scary, but as a cartoon, you could dismiss them as, you know, something that's not real. Whereas here, they've made these pretty good CGI wolves and, you know, kids are going to be frightened during those scenes. <laughs> what about the, um, ha- ha- were the angry mob rallied as fast in the cartoon as they were in the movie? Well, the song Kill the Beast, which Gaston sings, riles everybody up. And then they go to do so they go to kill the beast so he does rally them pretty quickly uh there's a bit more marching to it but it's kind of a bit of a montage i suppose uh where they're arriving and the furniture's getting ready the fight scene with the furniture seems much longer in the cartoon it felt a bit rushed you're right there was more comical moments where furniture fights uh, i guess you know that that bit where the the hat rack, you know, punches, yeah. uh, boxes, that happens. And the bit where the dresser jumps from the second floor and lands on somebody happens. Piano and the dresser are not in love with each other in the same way. That romantic story with Stanley Tucci and um, whoever the dresser is um, being in love was, was tacked on, was added. The plumet story with Lumiere was in the film. Uh, was in the cartoon where um, the feather duster and the candlestick, you know, run away with each other quite often. A bit of a ooh-la-la French thing going on. But there were some scenes that, I mean, I don't think helped the film, whereas others, I think, improved it. So first of all, before the opening sort of titles, when he is transformed into the beast, they spend some time showing you what the prince looks like. And in one of the books or video games, you find out that the beast's real name is Prince Adam. That's who he is, even though it's never mentioned in the cartoon or all this film. So they showed the whole dance sequence where he's having one of his very lavish parties and you see his face as the human version of Prince Adam. Obviously, the enchantress turns up in disguise as the old woman with the rose. All of that took place as a sequence of uh, stained glass windows in the cartoon, Lloyd. Oh, that's cool. Where it showed, like, you know, he was a prince, quick shot of that. You know, one day an enchantress turned up. You know, it's just sort of a hooded figure. Um, he turns her away, and he's more of a child at that point. I believe he's sort of age 11 or so, because in the there's a lyric in the Be My Guest where it says, 10 years we've been rusting, and he's supposed to be 21 in the cartoon. It's more ambiguous here, and you're not sure. But anyway, you never see any of that stuff beforehand and you don't know what he's going to look like when he transforms from the beast to a human. That's a big surprise in the cartoon that he has the long hair and the blue eyes and whatever. So that didn't add anything. And the way Dan Stevens, who plays um, the beast, the way he performs in that opening scene is like a pantomime. He plays like the whole dismissive card against the Enchantress. And it seems like he does it because he has an audience. Like he's got a bit of peer pressure going on more so than he's just a guy who would send her away because of his character. And I don't think that added anything to have this big party sequence. When uh, everybody's transformed, one thing they did add, which is effective, Lloyd, was they had everybody's memories of these people were erased. You know, Mrs. Potts has a husband, Mr. Potts, who can't remember what the thing he's missing. Sorry, that wasn't in the cartoon. No. Oh, um, okay. I don't remember a Mr. Potts, and uh, I remember Mrs. Potts was viewed as a grandmotherly figure, which is why they have that line. 
there was a very eternal sunshine and spotless mind part about it. You never knew that any of this furniture had loved ones. Whereas this humanized them a little more and was like, oh, they're part of the village or part of whatever. And, and that added something, I think. Um, so some things did and some didn't work. You know, uh, in the cartoon, they bond over not much. You know, they just sort of start being more civil with each other. In this film, and far more effectively, the library is what brings them together. They bond over literature and they've given the beast like an education. You know, he says, I had a very expensive education. Because he read read Shakespeare. Yeah, because he knew Shakespeare. And he'd read lots of books and stuff. And so here you give him intelligence and that's what Gaston is missing and why Belle wasn't attracted to Gaston and makes them able to have these intellectual conversations. So that really worked here. In the cartoon as well, he doesn't hit her with that snowball. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, goes to throw it and she throws another one at him and the big snowball falls on his head so he gets hit with both. But it was really funny and unexpected that, you know, she would be hit with a giant snowball. Yeah, and it just cuts after that. You yeah. just assume she's all right. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> the whole LeFou thing, which has become a big controversy, we'll get into quickly. Uh, Josh Gad plays LeFou and in the cartoon, the character is interested in women. He, these three women who are following around Gaston, loving him in the village, uh, he's pushing his hair back, slicking his hair back, interested in the girls too, but doesn't have a chance. They've made him a gay character here. He's Disney's first gay character. And uh, I know you said he doesn't really have much of a journey, much of a character. Oh, man, they, that whole thing just fizzles. Like, I, I like how you see a bit of remorse, like, oh, can't we go back? Like, I, I, we, when they leave Belle's father there to the wolves, he immediately goes, this is the wrong thing to do, and he's constantly thinking about it. Nothing happens with his story uh, afterwards. He just backs, he goes, no, I've changed sides, and that's all you hear of it. It's just so rushed and as if it's just tacked on there, again, by that committee I keep referencing i would have preferred him to be a villain and loyal to gaston the whole entire time they can still keep him gay but just like just for character wise just have him more loyal to gaston and he's there to him uh, with him till the bitter end that would have been so much stronger than the artificial aspect of you know he's got i guess a, a dance partner at the very last frame of the movie his last frame yeah they give him a quick uh, love interest of a guy dressed in a dress from the dresser. Well, in the cartoon, as I remember it, I think he just flees with the villagers away from the um, furniture during that battle, and that's the last you see of him. Which, if he was in love with Gaston in the cartoon, just would have meant that um, Gaston fell to his death and he was mourning him, I suppose, back at the village, which is a bit sad. Um, it's also tricky to introduce the first ever Disney gay character and then have them fall to their death with Gaston or remain evil the whole time. It sort of says something. Yeah, true. It's a bit but, of a but by that, you're betraying the, the story and um, I guess go, going too much with the audience, which is what they did in the end anyway. I felt like he was pandering too much to the audience to to make sure they don't step on anyone's toes and... From a business perspective, that's probably the right way to go. You don't you want to get as wide an audience as possible and not offend anyone. But artistically, um, in terms of character, you're betraying 
the, what would be right for the character to go. I, I probably would have preferred what what you think happened in the cartoon for him to just run away with the villagers rather than just have such a flimsy resolution to the character. Well, you know, the bit where he's trapped underneath the you know the dresser or the piano or whatever, and and Gaston says, "Sorry, Lafou, it's hero time, yeah. or hero moment time." That's not in the cartoon. They've given him that as a betrayal so that Gaston is able to go off and die and LeFou is over him at that point. Um, so they've tried to give him this change of heart that it was a little bit forced, um, making him a good guy. It felt a bit like in Aladdin when they made Iago a good guy, the bird that was Jafar's parrot, talking parrot off cider. You, you felt that was too um, sped up. Oh, I felt like that was a strange term. Um <laughs> Instead of having him just fly away, it was obviously such an iconic kind of voice and character. It's actually one of my favourite techniques in all of movies to have a, a, a villain and in the end turns out good. I know Studio Ghibli's the master of it, like where you never really have an antagonist, um, but that's going west versus east in terms of storytelling, going down that road. But one of the big ones for me, um, and I'm so thankful I grew up watching this film, but was Predator. You had a uh, Carl um, Withers, Withers. Um, character who's projected as a bad guy. Like um, um, he's he's in there working for um, I don't know some unseen agency, but in the end he rallies to try and save one of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's own men. Like he goes himself, risking his own life to try and save Arnie's guy. And Arnie even says, um, "That's not your style, Dylan." And he goes, "I guess I picked up a few bad habits." And it was such a little one line, very economical, but it bespoke so much of a character arc. Where under this extreme situation, it doesn't matter which side of the, of of the pond you're on. We're all in this together, sort of thing. And I, I just think that one little theme in a in Predator is far deeper than a lot in uh, what uh, in Sonic is artificial as Beauty and the Beast. Well, um, LeFou didn't win you over, but uh, did you feel for poor Kevin Klein who was sad and singing his song about his plague dead wife? That was sad. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I like the effectiveness of um, when the Beast sees the mask and he knows exactly what has happened the plague um yeah but i think it would have been stronger had they not told anything about bell's mother and they just kept that more ambiguous um i'm really curious to see the cartoon now now that you're talking about it just to, just to see these differences um the the mechanic of the book was a very very poor one i just i can't believe you can sit there in the editing room and go yeah that works I, i'd be going the whole time you've just introduced the biggest plot hole you know, by by having that book, it was it was really bad. I I couldn't stop thinking about it. Every situation that came came up that they could have used that. Yeah, just use the book. The beast can go with you. <laughs> was there more of the enchantress in the cartoon? See, this is a big sticking point for me, and probably the thing I have a biggest problem with. The book wasn't great, but I was able to go. That was a strange addition that I would have left on the cutting room floor. The enchantress pretty much doesn't come back in the cartoon. I, yeah, that, that sounds New so York. much better. Yeah, it was better in the cartoon. So Agatha is not a character. That spinster who's begging for coins, that's the Enchantress in disguise. She makes this curse and then sticks around to see Yeah, if, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which seems really odd to me. And even more odd is the fact that she saves Maurice's life when he's all tied up and left for the wolves. 
which means she's influencing the outcome of the curse, which I found really weird. Job's done now. Like, it just makes her more savage that she's been there the whole time watching them wallow away. Maybe she did cause the lightning strike that caused the block for um, Belle's father to go down the road to the castle. I don't know. But it just seems weird and godly that she's been there the whole time overseeing this master plan for it to come at that situation rather than be this this person who was insulted and punished them for being insulted and just left them whether they survived or not. But it was a big lesson um, in in terms of vanity, you know. Um, Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, exactly. And it, which and is the point of the whole film. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, just not to get too biblical about it, but vanity is like one of the biggest sins you can commit. It's what got Satan thrown out of heaven and so forth. And so, so the, the idea of this arrogant prince being punished for be, believing that they were so beautiful, no one, no one could um, be with them unless they were just perfect, you know, and that whole elitist society and then all of them being punished turned to these almost demonic creatures um, until they can find love is a really, really interesting idea. And unfortunately, I think the mechanic of the Enchantress just didn't work in this movie and I hated how she comes back, you know, and she's walking through everything <laughs> she's seeing um uh bell crying over the beast it just didn't seem right and that scene sound, what you're discussing with the cartoon just sounds so much better that she just wasn't there also with with the cartoon as um the beast dies and the dialogue is almost identical where he says at least i got to see you one last time and she's like no no you can't die all that sort of stuff she says i love you as the pedal is falling before it hits at the bottom, which means that she fell in love with him before the curse ended. In this, as you know, the pedal falls, all of the furniture changes, like to proper, like, junk, uh, furniture, antiques, you know, no longer alive. And then, as Agatha's there, she hears her say, I love you to the beast, and realizes that she did fall in love. But technically, on the terms of the curse, it's a technicality, but they lose. Uh, so they shouldn't all be transformed back. It's the it's Enchantress over. who decides. Yes. Uh, she sees it firsthand that, oh, okay, she did love him. What I've done, I've uh, my job is done here. I will, you know, ta- you know, reverse the, the, the curse or whatever. Yeah, which doesn't work nearly as well as in the cartoon. Yeah. Also, I kept thinking about poor Chip, whose saucer gets broken. When he transforms <laughs> back, I thought he was going to have broken legs or something. <laughs> like they put him in a wheelchair or something. Because all that transformation stuff... You don't see that. You don't see them horribly, uh, you know... What about uh, the piano? He's missing all his teeth. Yeah, well, there's no real piano that's focused on in the cartoon. If it's there, it's in the background. I enjoyed the fact that Stanley Tucci was missing his teeth. I thought that was a funny note. But the whole Spinster Agatha thing where she's walking through didn't work for me at all. Uh, I don't know why she helped Maurice. I don't know where she took Maurice back to. Like, was that where she was living? In some kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. So residence. She, yeah, so she's uh, like a pagan witch of Macbeth, like living on the outskirts of the kingdom, you know, with all these, uh, I, I don't know, um, pagan-like rituals and um, uh, elixirs, and I'm assuming she's giving some sort of tea to help him recover. 
and and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, so she's it's like she's been living. They've created this whole or implied this whole backstory of this enchantress that she's been living on the outskirts of town, keeping an eye on everyone and seeing how they evolve because she did wipe all their memories. And I, I don't know what pleasure she sees in seeing this town evolve or devolve. You know, um, maybe it's just all part of her master plan. It's a very strange master plan, and it did not work for me. Uh, in the cartoon, Philippe is the horse that Maurice takes and, you know, runs back to Belle. He's to like the hero her. of the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, that horse, pardon the pun, is very animated in the cartoon and doesn't want to go down the dark path and wants to continue down the safer-looking path and, you know, pulls a lot of faces and has, you know, comedy value to him. But um, obviously you can't do that with a real horse. You didn't want to animate the eyes and well, things like me, that. Well, for me, he was really effective. That horse just always was there, you know. He tried to save um, the father and Belle from the wolves. It even got attacked by one of the wolves. Uh, it was afraid of the beast. And the beast had to, you know, um, could only touch or come close to the horse with Belle. Um, but yeah, um, Philippe was like a bit, a bit of a hero. For me, the most effective character, other than Ewan McGregor's um, Lumiere, Lumiere yeah. um, character, was uh, Emma Thompson's Miss Potts. Uh, I think mm -hmm. was so much presence in that beautiful working class um, accent, and uh, I love it how much she loved the the sun teacup. And uh, oh, people were like, oh, when she was screaming, "Where's my boy? Have you seen my boy?" Before they were turning into, as you say, junk. Um, it was really, really tragic, and that's just go goes to show um, the power of the animators, and of course the power of the uh, of the talent that they had to do the voices. Um, what was the strongest song for you in this movie? My favorite song from the cartoon was always Gaston's song. You know, no one fights like Gaston, and so forth. Be our guest is very similarly done to how it is in the cartoon, uh, with all the shots and the the flare and so forth. I was a little disappointed with uh, the translation of the Gaston song because they've added these extra courses and refrains. And Is that the song he sings in the, in the bar? bar? Okay. Yeah, which is, I think, much better in the cartoon. No, I didn't think the tavern scene was, scenes were that bad at all. I, I actually really enjoyed them. They were funny. Did you have a favourite song? Probably... Um be our guest um just how spectacular that musical number was and just yeah I, it kind of i kind of wish i saw this in 3d just because of how spectacular that scene was and uh people were laughing in my theater they were smiling like i you know it was really bright for some reason oh i guess the movie's very bright but people were just really um enchanted no no pun intended by by this movie <laughs> uh, and especially that scene they were just like wow and it just made me think of when I saw La La Land it was just like, oh yeah, that's right, musicals are still very prevalent because we've had a whole generation grow up with High School Musical and Hannah Montana so they're very used to this I I never got into musicals ever, really, we, we talked all about this in La, our La La Land podcast I tried really hard to listen to the words in um, Beauty and the Beast of the music and I, I couldn't hear a lot of the lyrics. I don't know if that's an issue with the sound or the fact that I'm getting really old and crusty. <laughs> I guess I had a point of reference for all the lyrics from the cartoon so I sort of knew what I was in for. Uh, that Maurice song where he's singing about his dead wife was never in the um, cartoon. They've added like a bunch of songs here were never in. Like when, when the Beast lets Belle go... And she's riding back on her horse and he sings on the rooftop. That's not in the cartoon. Yeah, there's a few more. 
Uh, as well, when uh, Maurice first heads to the Beast's castle, uh, he's there stealing a rose and okay, um, that, yeah. that Belle asked for. But in more simply in the cartoon, he's trespassing. Uh, the Beast says he's trespassing and wants to keep him there. And then when Belle goes to see him, uh, it really bothered me that when she holds his hands in this film, she says, your hands are ice. And in the cartoon, she says, your hands are like ice. <laughs> And I was like, what? Did she just drop a word out of that? Like, your hands are ice is not good grammar. Anyway, and then she tricks him in this film out of the cage. But in the cartoon, she bravely says, you know, take me in his place. And just, like, fronts up. She doesn't have to push him out of the cage and slam the door and trick him out of there. So there was a few little changes like that where I think they've tried to make Belle more fearless. Because as Maurice explains, your mother was fearless and explains all the backstory of the beast's backstory we barely get any in the cartoon um you don't know about his parents and you don't know why he's in this castle by himself they do sort of mention the young master mrs potts who's played by angela lansbury in um the cartoon murder she wrote um she's the same sort of motherly character to the beast uh, which is still effective in this film, as you put. Yeah, so the whole backstory of how he had a cruel father and lost his mother at a young age and he was actually a good kid, but the father sort of corrupted him, that wasn't in the cartoon at all. No, you don't really know that stuff. Uh, I find it interesting how much they showcased the power of the beast and how they withheld it a lot. Like, this beast can do, it feels like he can do a lot of damage, although we see him battle three or four wolves and the wolves seem to almost get him. Like he is, he has to pass out like after the battle and he has to recover. But when he fights Gaston and you see him jumping from tower to tower, you really see an animalistic aspect of um, of the beast. And it just made me curious what would have happened if the pedal had fallen all the teacups would have turned to tea, you know, and, and all the rest of it. Would the beast have turned into like a, a I don't know, a beast? Like, a, would he be he able... He remains a beast, I suppose. Yeah, He's but, never human again. So he wouldn't be able to talk or articulate um, like a human being ever again? Is that is that it? I suppose he's more beast than man. Um, and I guess that continues over time. The, the idea is he'll be forever alone, I suppose. Well, and no wouldn't it have been interesting, though, it's say the curse, they didn't make it in time and she says, I love you afterwards, and then she has to live like, I guess, Shrek uh, f- forever as with him as the beast? Mm. You know, well, um, it'll be a it, very yeah. dark ending. Like the old saying with kids' books or kids' stories, kids can take anything as long as you have a happy ending. Um, and I, th- I think that would just be too dark. Well... At the very, very end when they're dancing and all of that's additional too, when they have the nice party at the end and there's a line which has been added where Belle says, how do you feel about growing a beard? And he snarls at her and it's sort of like she still loved the beast more than the way he looks now. So she was sort of into the look of the beast. Um, That was additional, which it didn't really go over in my film. I think people were like, oh. <laughs> so she got wishes. hair like animal. <laughs> you remember that from Austin Powers? <laughs> what, what was um the father of Belle? He looked at another girl implying that there could be a relationship. Well, that was Emma Thompson who had a husband. Oh, okay. So, all right. I, I misinterpreted that. There was just a lot, there was a lot going on in that dance sequence. Yeah. I was just like, oh, slow down. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Potts, the, the, you know, the kettle, uh, what is it? Uh, kettle? 
I suppose. <laughs> she was with Mr. Potts, who couldn't remember her. Remember, he was in the village saying, I can't remember what I've forgotten or whatever, uh, because he'd forgotten he had a wife and child, uh, Chip, who was the teacup as well. And so she nodded at him like a kind of, if she's the mother figure for uh, the beast and he's the father figure for Belle, they're kind of like the parents of this union, I suppose. That little nod was just a little like you know, acknowledgement, I suppose, of <laughs> where we're at now. And Cogsworth seems to have gotten the worst end of the stick. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he was happy on his own, wasn't he? <laughs> the film does answer one question. Like I said, some things are better, some are worse. But one of the questions it answers was, in the cartoon, uh, Belle gets attacked by the wolves and the beast saves her and he collapses. And then the next shot is her, like, heading back with the wolf, uh, with the beast on the back of the horse and we never knew how that beast got on that horse. <laughs> it always bothered me. I was like, where did she like get superhuman strength And they from? still jump cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this one, she does say, you have to help me, you have to stand. That's a good point. Absolutely. Which I was like, great. Yeah. No, that, that, <laughs> that would have bothered me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As it did in the cartoon all those uh, years ago. I have to say, um, like just looking at a lot of reviews uh, for this film, well, not a lot, some, I haven't had much time to look up, look up um, this film, but it does seem pretty divided between the people who have seen the original animated movie and that movie was nominated for an academy award not in its own animated category we're talking academy awards like with dances with wolves or whatever the movie was back then it didn't and win it won the golden globe as wow. well so for a musical comedy i i take it it's a very good um movie and a lot of people hold it dear to their hearts so there must have been so much pressure on this film to get it right and hit all the right beats and i think they were just too afraid to go in one direction or, or another and just try to play it by the numbers as possible. I have to say, watching it with a pretty young and full audience, it is pretty spectacular, magical, hit all the right beats. I think audiences are absolutely going to love this movie. I think you're right. And um, it'll probably only add more value to the Disney brand. I mean, I can't see this not making almost a billion dollars, if not a billion dollars. It's already shooting up and Emma Watson gets a big pay bump if it gets to seven hundred and fifty million. So <laughs> she get she did this over um, La La Land. Yeah, and Ryan Gosling didn't do this and did La La Land. Yeah, it's like who chose the right movie? I feel La La Land because of all the critical acclaim. Yeah, and, but it and, didn't win the the Oscar in the end, but it will be remembered for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it did win the Oscar, Dave, <laughs> <laughs> for a minute in like a dream sequence. Yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um. Does Emma Watson come out on top? Because she's she's certainly her bank account is. This hasn't hurt her brand, and I think the reason that she's been in in this film and been chosen by the execs is because she carries the Harry Potter brand. Yeah, too. I don't know anything about Emma Watson. To me, she was just a pretty face, but I understand she carries that huge branding. It'll be like watching. I don't know, um, Princess Leia go on to a different franchise back in the um, uh, 70s, I guess, or 80s after Star Wars. Carrie Fisher, sorry. No, it hasn't hurt her at all. I got to think that it was a good move to put her in here. She can obviously sing, which is a plus. This was also a dream for her, so she's coming in as a fan. She loved Beauty and the Beast, and and she, like, was trying to be in an adaptation of this, which uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to do, which fell apart. Yeah, it would have been way too dark. <laughs> he would have <laughs> gone back the to the French uh, 1945 version, I think. 
because that's uh, actually one of Guillermo del Toro's favorite movies. I've always wanted to watch that, but I'm waiting for Criterion to re-release it on Blu-ray. I keep hearing rumors, okay, I'm not going to watch it until it's Criterion releases it on Blu-ray, but it's been on my list only because um, Guillermo del Toro talks that film up so much. He wouldn't be the right person to, like, I love del Toro, but if you want to see what his fantasy is like, it's Pan's Labyrinth, and I, I can't imagine how, like, a Disney... Uh, studio would want to release a, a Beauty and the Beast slash Pan's Labyrinth film. It would just be too dark for audiences. Uh, with Emma Watson, I did sort of think she looked kind of childish here at times. Um, she still looked like, you know, a young girl. Whereas I feel like in the cartoon, they were portraying Belle as a young woman um, or a lady. If even. you could put an age, um, what would you say? Maybe, uh, let's say 25 in the cartoon. Whereas sometimes I felt like Emma Watson was 18, 19. Yeah, this. sure. Um, they just sort of felt like she was more wise and maybe that was all the reading, but in the cartoon, um, I don't know, there's an, an age to her character that suggests she's fended off more suitors and, you know, been around the block a little bit more. I will say as well, I thought there were maybe too many point of view shots, you know, where it's kind of, she meets the teacup and it's in her hand and we cut from point of view of the teacup looking at her to a point of view of her looking at the teacup and... And uh, they sort of repeated that at the door and stuff as well. Yeah, some of the cuts I disagreed with, especially with the very last shot. It cuts to this crescendo of the dance sequence and it has to cut back to the person singing before it goes to credits. Um, right. Yeah, just some awkward cutting um, throughout this movie. Not, not, not too bad to make it a complete disaster or anything like that, but just for an extremely big budget polished movie, there's just some awkward cuts there. Just like, oh, maybe you should redo that. In the bar scene, when uh, Maurice comes back and they say, Gaston, did you try and kill Maurice? None of that is in the cartoon. They've specifically had the sequence where they leave Maurice for dead and the wolves are added, so he's more of a villain, which does let Agatha save him, which obviously is none of that's in the cartoon. And when they come back and they have the whole, you know, sequence where he's back, it's strange that they ever went away in the first place because they never go off into the woods with Maurice looking for Belle. Gaston, LeFou, and um, Maurice going off into the woods felt very odd to me. And I was like, I don't know what they are thinking will happen out of this. Like, there's nothing to achieve. It doesn't propel the story forward. You originally just had they kick Maurice out of the bar, and he's like, why won't anyone believe me, sort of thing. And he seems crazy, which leads to the whole insane asylum, padded car, wagon kind of deal. But they sort of went on this weird tangent where it felt like it was just there so they could do the happy thoughts, Gaston, think of the war, think of the widows. You know, are you <laughs> sure you want to marry into this family? Like, just a few jokes. But it was never going to go anywhere because if you had them actually find the castle, he'd be there without the villagers. And how would that work? You know, it was never, it was a dead end. And I don't know why we pursued that thread. And it felt very strange. I thought when they said, we'll help you, Maurice, and they walked him to the door, that they would just close the door with him on the outside. I thought it was going to be simple, like, you know, they throw him out. The flashback of the beast as a boy, where he's seeing the days in the sun, you know, that's not in the cartoon. You don't get to see the beast as a child. You don't get to see him as a human. He's a beast until he's not. Was the mirror in the cartoon? The magic mirror that shows... Yeah. Yes, it was. And, that, and that's how she knows to leave in the first place, you know, go to her father because he needs help. But as well in that sequence, the beast says, I release you. Mrs. Potts uh, and every, all the other furniture come in and they're like, why did you do that? You know, and stuff. 
And the Beast says in the cartoon, because I love her, which is far more effective than in the, this film where Mrs. Potts goes, because he's in love with her and just kind of fills in the blank. It's meant more coming from the Beast, who you finally realize has softened to the point where he's like, I love her. And he's able to tell them that. So that was taken away as well here. And he never says, I release you, you're free or whatever, like for that whole mirrored part. There's a climactic delivery as well where the Beast says, I'm not a beast to Gaston and and decides not to kill him to show the humanity that, you know, and there's a big contrast. Gaston is really the beast because he can sh- he will shoot you in the back and not care about it. Was that was that similar in the climactic battle in the cartoon? So in the cartoon, um, he's not fighting back against Gaston because Belle hasn't turned up. Uh, Gaston's never like, Belle sent me. You know, she wants to be with me or whatever. Like, he does say, uh, did you really think she would want you when she could have someone like me? You know, there's more of a mocking, she would want a human kind of deal. Uh, they fight each other and Belle does turn up and he's immediately like filled with, you know, strength again because she's there, she's come back. There's a scene where he does take Gaston by the throat and holds him and thinks he could drop him and Gaston begs for his life. But then... He just tells him to to leave and run away and whatever. He doesn't. I don't think he don't think he says I'm not a beast. Yeah, that well, I think that's better additional. in the cartoon though because that implies that just by showing that oh the beast isn't so savage that he would just kill his enemy. You Show know, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. And then in the movie they had to say it. I am not a beast. Yeah. You know, really emphasize it. So again, the cartoon wins in that direction. Yeah. And if I remember right, uh, he comes back and stabs the beast. Stabs him, sure, yeah. He doesn't shoot him the same way. I I like the stabbing idea. That just seems much more personal than gunning him from a distance, but it also seems more cowardice to shoot from a a distance like what um, Gaston could do. But it also made me admire him go, man, that's a pretty good shot to shoot that far with a pistol and get him dead bang twice. There's a quick shot the first time we see LeFou uh, we see these birds flying overhead and one of them gets shot by Gaston and he falls, the bird falls and, and LeFou tries to catch it in a bag and it doesn't and then throws it into the bag and Gaston shows that he's a good shot. That's the introduction to his character in the cartoon, which they, obviously it feels like animal cruelty to include that in the live action. <laughs> Sorry, but this as, hasn't appealed to the committee so we got to cut this. <laughs> <laughs> but as well, they have Belle... Um, grab onto the clothes of the beast when they're both falling. The thing is crumbling and the beast's been stabbed and I think Belle grabs onto the beast and kind of pulls him towards her and Gaston falls to his death in a similar sort of way. He's not standing off on his own as much in the cartoon, but it is similar. That kind of face-off is just a knife instead of a gun, I believe. It's interesting uh, with the very beginning of the film where Belle is singing, like how much the town really adores Belle. She is the the um, mantle of their, their town that they're, they're all either proud of her or they're jealous of her. And I, I, I just feel with Emma Watson's performance, she's so self-aware of how much she is admired and how, how much everyone wants her and just how she frolics around the town. She just moves with this suaveness, with this arrogance, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'm so beautiful and I know it sort of thing. But I, I don't know if that's just me, what I'm bringing to the movie. Did that come across to you at all with the opening um, number? Uh, well, the opening number is pretty similar to the cartoon she stops and sits at a fountain for a longer sequence with goats around her in the cartoon 
and they eat one of the pages of her book, which she's singing about. In the cartoon, she's got her nose in the book and she's walking around and everyone's singing about how she's odd. She's not kind of as nose in the book in this live action. She's sort of walking around with her head held high and they're still saying she's odd. And as she says to the beast, you know, they say that I'm I'm uh, different or whatever and they don't mean it in a nice way or whatever she says uh, when they're bonding. And so she's aware that the town doesn't love her, that the town is all like, oh, yeah, she's odd, like her father and whatever. They tolerate her weirdness, I suppose. Yeah, in the movie it seems like, yeah, they understand she's strange, but she is still admired by a lot of guys, a lot of people, and the women seem to be very jealous of her. Was that the case in the cartoon as well? You had those three girls that were very envious of how much men admired uh, uh, Bella? Bell, yeah. Um, those three women are basically, they look like triplets, like they're all yeah. identical in the um, cartoon, and they just want Gaston, and they think she's an idiot for not wanting to be Gaston, but they're such extras in the cartoon, they're such background players, uh, you don't really get a sense of any kind of mean girl style resentment, it's just that when Gaston's around, they kind of all flutter their eyelids and like love him, and then when she doesn't, they just kind of look angry in the background, I think. It's it's nothing um, malicious. They added the stuff about kind of Guinevere and Lancelot, the fact that the Beast is reading romance and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, their discussions of Shakespeare, none of that is in the, the film. The book is so off-putting, a book that truly allows you to escape, a gift from the Enchantress. I don't know why she would possibly leave a gift. We've talked about it, but it's so strange to see them go to Paris and him obviously recognise Paris and ask her, oh, where would you like to go first? And yeah, stuff. it implies that he's been everywhere in the world. Yeah. Like he looks out the window, oh, Paris, yeah, I know, I know all the places to go. And he could, she could have picked anywhere in the world and if, if would have felt like he, he could have said, oh, yeah, I've been there, here and there. Just it's a really, really bad mechanic. I, I didn't like it at all. Like not only by what it implies to where the beast and maybe all the teacups and uh, candelabra has gone with it, with the beast, but it also implies that, you know, it, it just keeps your attention to the fact that why aren't they using this book during the most required moments of the plot, such as to save the father? It's just really baffling, um, that, that mechanic. It's not good writing as well because it feels like it's something that should play into the ending or something. Like, it feels like a setup, like setting up the fact that they have this book and then later they can use it. There's no payoff to that sequence, which is what frustrated me. Very small annoyance of mine. Uh, when she looks in the mirror, she says, I'd like to see my father. In the cartoon, she says, I'd like to see my father, please. <laughs> Dropping that please does make her seem ruder. I don't care who you are. <laughs> in the cartoon, uh, when she leaves um, to save her father after their dance and after she looks at the mirror, uh, Chip actually stows away in the cartoon and they don't just pick the lock to escape. Uh, Chip actually uses one of their machines, which is like a log cutter with an axe at the end and turns it on full blast and the axe like chop, 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 cuts them out of their um, prison. So, you know, the Chip escape sort of thing is, is totally removed from this film and it, it's not the worst like i didn't hate the fact that they just picked the lock it's more straightforward in some ways did you watch the cartoon just just before like as a refresher no. or is this just no, all going no. off memory all memory man that's wow. what i was saying like i'm sure i've seen it like 50 times 
Gaston and the Beast stuff, you know, falling to his death. The furniture all freezing up annoyed me, as I said. The Enchantress stuff, I, I just don't know that any of that was necessary. It's like playing with the loaded dice when she helps save Maurice, when saves him from the wolves, and, like, then when the curse ends, the fact that she then, after the pedal has fallen, goes, eh, you know... <laughs> Sort of doesn't really work for the character. She should have brought the mother back as well. <laughs> sure, why not? While you're at it. It sort of feels like she has nothing better going on. The fact that she stayed and waited and watched what happened. Like she must be an immortal to have that kind of time on her hands. Because they know who she is. They say, look what happens to spinsters who don't marry. And they know who Agatha is, begging in the street for coins. You know. Um, there was one little bit that annoyed me uh, during the song... Tale as old as time at the end when they're having a big dance. They cut to a shot of Josh Gad who plays LeFou and he was dancing with a woman initially. And the lyrics that say, you know, are spoken over the bit where he's dancing are finding you can change, learning you were wrong. Which I was like, oh, this is like a conversion thing. They've had a gay character and then it's like he was wrong and they're subtly implying that, look, he's dancing with a woman now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I've got this bad taste in my mouth for a minute before the other gentleman cut in. Okay. And I was like, oh. And even okay. then he was CGI'd. Because <laughs> <laughs> they only picked up on that in the post-production. They went, oh, crap. <laughs> Yeah, they just had anybody cut in with some <laughs> random guy. I thought Ewan McGregor did a good job. Yeah, I thought, he, he was um, excellent. Yeah, he had a French accent, despite the fact they're in France. Nobody else really does. <laughs> and I was thinking halfway through, like, well, Belle is a French name. She was born in Paris. They're still in France. She's only had influences from French languages, but she's not speaking French or, you know, in any way of an accent. And really, that's just the way this translates. Uh, which is, I think, pretty interesting. I thought Luke Evans, who played Gaston, did a pretty good job, but I felt like he was channeling Hugh Jackman at times, doing kind of an arrogant Hugh Jackman. I thought the funniest bit was probably in the mirror, when he's saying, you're so beautiful. You're you're amazing. And then it cuts to him, shows he's looking in the mirror. and you know. Yeah, I want to say Luke Evans is one of the best aspects of this movie, but it's always easy to say the villain. is the best. They just got so much more... Uh, of a palette to work with than the, you know, often two-dimensional heroes, which are just, you know, uh, do you love me? He loves me not. I love uh, I love you or w whatever, you know, whatever the beats are for the hero. It's just pretty basic and the villain just has way more tools to play with. Hmm. A bit more of um, a straightforward story arc too. So Disney, you know, they've been venturing into the live-action world uh, we've seen uh, Jungle Book recently. You know, you watched it. I didn't watch it. I'm saying we've seen in like a, yeah. a society kind of way. Um, we've seen Jungle Book. We've seen Cinderella, obviously Beauty and the Beast. Now in the pipeline, they have The Lion King, uh, which, you know, doing a live action version of that's going to look like a lot of animals, like I guess like Jungle Book. And they're doing Mulan, um, another female empowerment kind of movie, I'm assuming. Uh, because they're cutting all the music and adding more kung fu, it's going to seem a bit like an action film too. Those are the rumours. Little Mermaid apparently is also going to be adapted, but really they've got such a bad catalogue that they can do this for years. And so long as these you know big successes like Beauty and the Beast, it doesn't hurt that Disney also owns Star Wars and Marvel. 
Um, oh my gosh, they're a titan. I personally am a big fan of Aladdin because that that's the biggest Disney film I could remember when I was young of those Disney classics. And I'd love to see a modern take on it because I love the Arabian Nights. I love the mythology there. I love jinns, flying carpets, you know, Sinbad. Um, what's behind this this rock? Is it a whole labyrinth of treasure? You know, that, that sort of thing. And what demons lurk within there. I, I find that so fascinating. So I would love Sonic on the scale of Beauty and the Beast adapted, like with that kind of budget and that kind of craftsmanship, um, uh, you know, applied to an adaptation of Aladdin. Because uh, one thing that I'm taking away from Beauty and the Beast is just how beautiful these sets are. They're just, I haven't seen Cinderella, but Beauty and the Beast, this town, it feels like they actually built it, you know, and you, you can touch and live in one of the little villages there. You, have you been to Disneyland, Dave? Never have, it, no. It's, it's um, like I, I saw it when I was too late. I was 26 when I went to Disneyland, so I didn't see it at the magical age, but the sets and the world Disney have really got that down. You just, just even how a tree is designed, just a basic tree just feels like something out of a, I don't know, just something out of a magical fairy tale. And, um, I felt that all throughout, uh, beauty and the beast, that production design is just absolutely fantastic. And I look forward to these live action recreations just to see all this money and technology thrown, um, on the screen. The danger of doing Aladdin, and I would love to see that as well. There was actually a shot of Agrabah in um, Be Our Guest. I don't know if you noticed, it was like a little pop-up palace. Okay. A little shot of it in this film. Uh, I'd love to see Aladdin. Obviously, the biggest question there is who you cast as the genie, because with no Robin Williams. Oh, of course, yeah. It's like if they do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, do you cast little people as the dwarves, um, you know? Well, they kind of did that with that awful movie Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They kind <laughs> of did. This was Beauty and the Beast. Pretty much we, we're going to have to wait and see what Disney does next, but it sounds a bit like, you know, we're going to see Mulan, uh, what's it called? Lion, Lion King, King and, yeah. And Little Mermaid next, so more magical adventures to come. Next time on the podcast, we're going to tackle Hacksaw Ridge, which is going to be out uh, out now, actually, on uh, DVD and Blu-ray in Australia. As always, you can check out our YouTube channel, which features many obscure films by, um, you know, but the, the thing that they share in common is they have a, just an A-list actor in them, somebody you're going to know in this obscure film. So, you know, we've covered like Michael Keaton and Margot Robbie and all these people's obscure back catalogue of films. So if you go to podmeifyoucan.com, there's a link there to our YouTube page and you can find over 100 obscure films that we've done there. Yeah, that might be about it. Be our guest. Head to podmeifyoucan.com, I suppose. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. Hit it. For listening, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews, 